0: It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I am Brother L.D. over I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Now, we have made it all the way here. Wait,
1: where we at now? We at T.T. Elaine Hall College yeah. of Business, Southern University, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. T.T. Elaine. T.T. Elaine. One of the founders of Southern University.
0: One of the founders of Southern University. Uh, We got got the main man who's at the helm of running this great institution. I've been here for quite some time. A dear brother, a dear friend,
1: Dean Donna
0: Andrews. Welcome okay. to Countdown.
1: Well, glad to be here, Mr. White, and glad to be here with you. Uh, I have the utmost respect for you and the things you're doing in the community, so I just really want to thank you for this opportunity. I mean, you make that sound pretty good. Right, yeah. Now, look,
0: I, I ain't going to do you like this, but I know a lot of other people might do you like this. They might say, well, but well, who is Donald Andrews?
1: Right. Well, that's Agnes Andrews' husband. You don't know that? Right. I mean, I, I, I stand in the, in the in the shadow of a five-foot-two young lady
0: and proud to be there. Yeah, she's a good, that's our dear friend and wonderful young lady who she really so you need to you don't need to interview me you need to interview my husband and here we are and I appreciate right. you having me here doc we're gonna have some fun today we're gonna to get to know you learn okay. about you give us
1: some history how did you end up at Southern University well uh Lyman it's it's a, it's a long story you know I grew up in a small uh village in in northeast Louisiana. Northeast Louisiana in northeast Louisiana in what people refer to as the Mississippi Delta country. We were so we yeah right and, you know and and uh, we we were so poor we didn't even know we were poor you know <laughs> oh, somebody had to I had to leave the Delta to find out how poor I was. Oh, you, know. that, that, you can't not o o r just p o right? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> we, we didn't have enough money to you know poor is p o o r. We didn't have enough money to get the other O. <laughs> <You> <laughs> we had couldn't to go poor. Uh. Yeah, we couldn't afford oh, another right O. Then. Yeah, but I I was fortunate. I was very very lucky that I grew up next to a retired school teacher. Uh, she had gone to school at Tougaloo College, uh, had taught uh, school. Now, now where,
0: I remember, where is Tougaloo College? Tougaloo is in Mississippi. All right. Now, now, yeah. now, now what town did you grow
1: up in? Uh, the name of the town I grew up in, similar to Baton Rouge, but the name of this town is Mer Rouge. Mm-hmm. So it is That's French It's French for Red Sea. Just, so what? when the French saw it, it was kind of in the delta and they were coming to the hill uh, about, you know, right in the area. And so from this hill you look down and there was a lot of red uh, flowers or whatever, so they thought it was a red sea. So rather than a red stick, we have a red sea. A red so it's sea. Marouge, red. Louisiana. All right then. Uh, about 10, 15 miles from the Arkansas line. About 50 miles from the Mississippi line. So right there in that corner of Mississippi, Arkansas, and Louisiana come together. Yeah, now, what, right. was, what it was like growing up in that little town? Well, I mean, it, we were fortunate. You say a village, not a town. No, 800 people. 800 people. Right and uh, basically it was growing up around cotton. So we went to school in the summertime. So we went to school in uh, July and August. So we could be out uh, in September and October to pick cotton, and we could be out in June to weed the cotton, or chop cotton as we used to refer to it. So you, you're telling me you're a cotton picker. Right, yeah, I, my, <laughs> uh, my dad had seven acres of, of cotton uh, you know, we thought we were high in cotton. You know, seven acres. You know, yeah. but uh, that wasn't well. nothing compared to what the big farmers had. They had thousands of oh, acres. Oh, so y'all had your own cotton. We had form. seven acres. That's all we had. My dad. But uh, you, but
0: you had your own cotton farm.
1: Yeah, seven acres.
0: All right. Yeah. All and right.
1: we had we had vegetables and things like that as well. Uh, by by the by the standards in that area, we you know we were we were doing okay. You know, but uh, it was a lot of poverty there, and education uh, was the way out. But also during this this time. Uh, and this is back in the 50s. Uh, so Gremlin uh, uh, College, as it was called at that time, was really the big powerhouse that had Eddie Robertson, you know, and we had uh, heroes that went to Gremlin, you know, and made, became superstars. And also in my high school uh, uh, we had Lou Brock. Uh, so okay. Lou, Lou Brock came from your high school? Like, Lou Brock came from my high school. Right? Yeah. Real, yeah. And, 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 the, and the teachers used to complain about him, uh, and he was not the best player on the team. Uh, oh, and that's and he used to hit the baseball. The baseball was field was behind the school, so he would hit the ball so far it would break out the windows in the school. Oh, so they, so they, they used to complain about, about, about you know, this boy got to stop. He got y'all got to do something about this boy. He's breaking all the windows. You know, exactly. nobody saw his talent really. You know how he got to Southern University on a academic scholarship. Well, that's even better. He didn't have a he didn't have he didn't have an athletic scholarship, and he had to basically he was a walk on. Lou Brock was a walk-on. Lou Brock was a walk on. Did you and him finish the same year? No, he was about ten years ahead of me. All right, he okay. recently passed away about a year or two I ago. Do, yeah, but, we do know but, uh, but, yeah, we used to correspond and talk all the time and, uh, you know, he used to come here and uh, Coach KR. he would, whenever, whenever Lou came, Coach I would run to the store and buy a whole lot of baseballs for him to sign. Oh,
0: right.
1: But he was a great guy. Yeah, a really great oh. guy. The small mm. town of 800 people, I would guess mm. predominant people of African descent? Yeah, I mean it. It was strictly segregation. The Ku Klux Klan was heavy in that area. Uh, we knew which side of town to walk on. Most African Americans didn't come to town until Saturday. They would come off the plantations and buy their food uh, and uh, you know beverages, you know, and, and then go back on the plantations and come back, you know, because they would get off on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, and, and Sunday were the days they had available. So, so y'all, y'all 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 can't go disturb them. Well, what I'm trying to say, all the African Americans would come to town on Saturday. So Saturday night is, would just be like uh, a big celebration. You know, I mean, people would just be hanging out. Uh, they had what they call back of town. You know, they used to say to little kids, y'all, don't y'all go on the back of town because, you know, people drinking alcohol and all kind of stuff going on on the back of town, it, it and don't, gambling it, it and whatnot. across the tracks? We had a track, but track didn't really ma- ma- mean much because, like, you would have the plantation house. And the blacks would live right next to the big house, you know. So there uh, wasn't that much segregation in the housing as you live right next to these people. You just didn't, you know, you didn't go to their places or anything. Plantation country. Plantation country. is like the Civil War had never happened. I can remember in 1963 when uh, Dr. King gave his speech. The Ku Klux Klan built three, I guess about 50-foot tall crosses in the middle of town right across the track, you know, in a lot, big and a lot. And we had a policeman. A policeman. Yeah, he, he reminded me. <laughs> You've seen the, 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 the policeman on, on Mayberry, Barney, Barney Fight. Fights. Yeah, he, he was just like Barney Fight. And he, he, he came around bullet, huh? to yeah. all, all, all the blacks and say, Don't y'all come to town tonight. He Saturday night. Would, he, he would come let y'all know. He, he, he say, Look, I don't want no trouble. Y'all just don't come to town. And so on that Saturday night, Nobody came to town, but you know we kids. You know we just kind of hid around and looked, you know. Yeah, uh, and, and, and when they threw that gasoline on that uh, cross and that flame went up, <laughs> we all went home, brother. There was, there was a sign. <laughs> and they it, basically right. said, we don't care anything about no Martin Luther Coon. Martin ain't, Luther Coon. Martin Luther Coon ain't nothing around here gonna change. Y'all know where to stay in y'all place.
0: Martin Luther
1: Coon. Yeah. yeah. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up in that community was really, I I think I really benefited because I saw African-Americans at their best uh, because they had to work together. Uh, There wasn't any welfare system or anything like that. And you had to be really, really careful because, uh, you know, people could do anything to you they wanted to, you know, and nothing would be done about it. There wasn't no such thing as any civil rights or anything like that. You know, like the day we had Ben Crump or whatever, you know, so uh, I think things are, are changing. But at that time, you know, you didn't have any civil rights laws or anything like that. But I think the the world of segregation at that time, as far as our school systems were concerned, uh, I really, I grew up on the campus of, of, of Gremlin because I lived next door to a re- retired school teacher. And so when I was a kid-
0: What was, what was her name?
1: Uh, Miss Ella Offit. Uh, and her daughters and sons had gone to school at Gramlin. One of her daughters worked at Gramlin. Uh, her name was Florida Evans. They would come you know, and visit her mother, and she had a son named Donald, and I was named Donald, uh, and we were the same age. You know, we got to be friends, so he would always want me to go back home with him to Gramlin. And you know, I would go back home with him to Gramlin, and it was like night and day. I had never seen black people be anything more than a preacher or a teacher. But I got a chance to see the town of Gremlin. They had a they had a mayor. They had first time I ever saw black policemen, firemen, store operators. I mean it was I like it was like, you know, we had overcome and nobody told me about it, you know. So, so I said, man, what a, where I've been all my life, you know. We, so we, that, that was an eye awakening. It was an awakening experience for me as to what people could actually do. I mean, I'd never seen black people run. Now, what year was this? Oh Well, I mean, I'm 70, I'll be 74 years old this year. So this was back in the, in the, in the 50s. So I, I remember when they were building Interstate 20, you know, in 1959, I guess, you know, going through Grambling. You cannot believe this, but you know, Willis Reed. I used to go see him the basketball play basketball player. Basketball player. Yeah. When we went into the basketball arena, there was a section that was roped off in the center court. And this was reserved for whites. And where it was in? This is at Gramlin. At Gremlin. At Gramlin. <laughs> okay. Because Willis Reed was just that good. So they wanted, they wanted to watch it play. Because they would bring in teams. Uh, from you know national ranked teams in the Midwest would come to Gremlin. Gremlin beat them. And yeah, yeah, I mean Reed was a superstar. Yeah. So and they had other guys you know that were you know best African American players you know went to, to Gremlin and, and down here And in high school Bob Love was from my little hometown. My little hometown was Marooch and seven miles away was Bastrop. So Bob Love played at Morehouse High School in Bastrop. So we used to watch Bob Love and Willis Reed and all the best players, you know, like uh, Ernie Ladd, the Big cat, uh, Buchanan, all those guys, you know, we, we just walk around grambling and just bump into these guys, you know I mean it was just like it, it, because
0: it was our community yeah, it was a beautiful thing because we was forced to be together.
1: Yeah, but we, you know, we appreciated we, we appreciate each, each, other. each other Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I'm just thankful that I grew up doing that period because I had teachers that really cared for us. And they pushed you. They pushed you. We couldn't say, you can't do this and you can't do that. They'd pull out a gin belt and whoop your behind and know, we know you can do better. Do you realize there used to be 1,800 students at Southern and at Grambling majoring in education? Hey, just, just in education. Right, because guess what? They had to prepare teachers for every high school and elementary school in the state for African American kids, okay? okay yeah. Gremlin basically was a teacher's college. That was the main reason they existed was for teaching. Southern being a land-grant school did more. We did, Southern did agriculture, Southern had engineering, Gremlin did not have those particular areas. In, in other words, what you had in 1862 we had the passage of the first Morrell Act, which was an act passed by Congressman uh, Morrell to have colleges for the common people in Uh, every state. The common people. Right, because if you look at the Harvards and the Yales, who were they for? They weren't for the common people, they were for the elites. So Morrell said we have to do something to improve society. Because at that time, the United States was a backward slave using society. And so you had slave owners and upper class, then you had, you know, common workers, lower class slaves, you know. So that's the way society was structured. So Morrell said we need to have an enlightened society, we need to have scientific agriculture. So they put in LSU as an example. Louisiana State University and Agricultural and Mechanical College. It's got that A and in there. We got Texas A and We got Florida A and So every state was provided with an agricultural and mechanical college to accept people to teach them how to do agriculture and to teach them how to do engineering and mechanical arts. And they were given land. Now, the South said, "Well, we aren't going to educate the newly freed slaves." Okay. Congress said, "You got to provide education to everybody." So that's when the separate but equal came into being. So they had a second Morrill Act in 1890. So Southern University is an 1890 land grant; LSU was an 1862 land grant, because the South refused to educate people of African heritage. They established what they said, we'll, "We'll do, we'll do this separate but equal thing." So we, so they were still able to get the federal funds. But they had to basically set up a second school for African-Americans. Gremlin came about, I think, about 1914 or somewhere along in there, because there was a need to have education. So it started out mostly as an educational school to teach people how to be teachers. And so those schools had a a major impact on society because that's where you have your first African-American professionals being developed at those schools. So that,
0: you, you gave us a, some pretty good history <laughs> just, just that quick. Right. Now, so now you started hanging out at Grambling State University right. with, with your
1: friend Don. Right, my friend Don, yeah. And how old were you then? Uh, I guess I was about fourth, fifth grade I guess. Four to fifth grade? Yeah. I was about ten, 10 to twelve and years So you old. was coming to Grambling? Right. And I can remember how far,
0: uh, how far is Gramlin
1: from my little hometown about 60 miles, it was oh, about an hours God. drive. There used to be a train that would come from Gramlin to Southern from what we called the Gramlin Southern game at that time. That was a train. So I was in the 8th grade and I was on this train riding with college kids. So it took us about it took us almost all day to come from <laughs> Gramlin to Southern. <laughs> they let us out right here on uh, on Scotland Avenue or whatever, you know, oh, where the Jesus. train came out there mm-hmm. and, and we, we came to the to the football game. And then then Southern would send a train to Gremlin for the for the Gramlin Southern game. And it, it would be just like a, you know, just like the Bayou Classic. It
0: was a big celebration.
1: Big it, but, celebration. But on the on the for, campus. But it was peaceful too. Well no, drunk. you always had your knuckleheads. Oh, you right. know that you're gonna have somebody that had too much alcohol mm-hmm. to drink or whatever the case may be, but you didn't have any shooting or killing yeah. or anything. But,
0: like but that. But you ate you in the eighth grade travel trade. Right. Or train, right. And that had to be a great experience.
1: You came all right. the way. You
0: right. came further down south. I came a whole other experience.
1: Right, and that's when I first learned about Southern. And you know, Grambling, you know, was great. But when I came to Southern, man, it was just like a whole other experience. You know, I say, wow, we got a program like that. And the Grambling Stadium at that time, it had one side. Southern had. Stand on both sides. Southern was big time. Big time, yeah. <laughs> and see, all my, uh, all the ag teachers and all the home economic teachers, all those, you know, people had come from, from, from Southern. So it was no doubt that you're going to go either to Southern or Grandma if you went to college. You see hope and opportunity. Right. And i say, man, you know, if I, could, I, if I could go to college, you know, I mean, so I'm saying, I, you know, there wasn't no doubt. I'm saying, I know I'm going to college now, you know, so that just became a that, that just, that just yeah, I mean, like all I'm these coming. other people going to college, you know, I can go too. Because <laughs> I'm just a smarter right. Well, and also, as I said, I, I grew up next to a uh, retired school teacher. And so when I was about two, three years old, she would bring me over to her home and she would be teaching me how to read. And I can remember vividly to this day, like she would cut out a picture of a strawberry and then she would write the word strawberry under. it. So I was doing like picture words. You know, and she'd have the word underneath the picture, you know, so that was the way I was trying to learn how to read.
0: That, that was pretty doggone good. Now your mom and dad, they had a level of education? My dad couldn't read or write. Could, what about your mom?
1: My mom uh, went to about the uh, ninth or tenth grade uh, and she really believed in education.
0: Okay. Not yeah, a,
1: Really yeah. believed in education. And yeah. so she went back to night school. So I graduated high school in 67. And she graduated high school in 65.
0: Now, your mom and dad, give, give us the, your mom and dad's name.
1: My dad's name is Lemmy, L E M M I E, Lemmy okay. Andrews. Okay. And my mom's name was Mabel, it may be L E. Okay,
0: now, what, what, what they're from the same town?
1: Right, yeah, my mom grew up in uh, really, uh, they grew up actually on the Arkansas line. Half the family was in Arkansas and half was in Louisiana. So they grew mm-hmm. right up on the Arkansas-Louisiana line. There was a lot of uh, paper mills there and saw mills there. So my granddad, you know, he had his own little uh, uh, truck that he'd go out, you know, in the in the in logging and stuff like that, and haul lumber up to the uh, paper. Rockwood, m- yeah, in the Arkansas. And
0: what was your grandfather's name?
1: His name was uh, Clarence Fudge. Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so you did know your 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 family,
1: uh, right? Both sides. Uh, well, my dad didn't have much family, okay. so uh, my dad was much older. I mean, my dad was about fifty years old when I was born. So. Oh, okay. So uh, and all of, all his folks had passed on or had moved away or whatever. So. Okay. Now, now
0: you, you, how many sisters and brothers?
1: I got. Um, I have one sister, uh, Diane Andrews. Oh, all right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, so now, let's go ahead on. so now you are in a little small town marouge you mm-hmm. seen all these good bad and ne- and, and different negative experience mm-hmm. you knew the ku klux klan was. oh yeah yeah right so that, they 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 made them they had a strong presence
1: right in fact if you go back in louisiana history they there uh, was a killing in 1922 that took place in in, in marouge louisiana where uh, the ku klux klan they didn't kill Black people, they killed two white people for associating with black women.
0: They really took it serious.
1: Right. They basically had told these plantation owners to stop, you know, associating with these black women. And these plantation owners told them, Who the hell do you think you are? I own these people. I do what I want to do. And so they kept doing it. So the Klan called them one night and killed them. They found them in a lake, similar to the Emmett Till kind of situation.
0: But these two white men.
1: Right. So they let y'all know they were serious, did it? Well, it was letting whites know yeah. that the Klan was serious y'all about, really do a- about this racial separation.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Okay. So it was, it was a rough little town on, on a racial basis.
0: Now you, but, but now you decide where I have got to go to college. Well, in other words, Don, Don, Don,
1: y'all went to college at the same time, you and your friend
0: Don?
1: You know, that's, that's strange. Now, he was right there sitting <laughs> in Gremlin. He got comfortable, huh? <laughs> and next thing I know, he had moved to Las Vegas, you know, after high school. Now he, he getting out of town. He got out of town or whatever, you know, and, uh, you know, I was going to go to Gremlin, but two of my friends were coming to Southern, so I decided to come to Southern. Then it, it was the best thing happened because now you're the dean
0: <laughs> of Southern University College of Business. Right. Now, uh, but when you got started, when you came here, you had, you had any idea what you was going to be doing? Well
1: What's when, I, when I came to Southern, uh, initially I was going to major in history because I'd always you know been fascinated with history. You know the Civil War and uh, Reconstruction, um, so I started out majoring in history. But the more I read about history, the more I realized that, you know, and during this period of time, you know, this is when the Civil Rights Movement was at its peak, you know, uh, Dr. King was still alive, I uh, came here in 67. Uh, and there were a lot of marches, sit-ins, freedom rides, lunch counters, sit-ins and all those kind of things. You know, Baton Rouge was really segregated when I first came here, you know, you, you really couldn't go anywhere in, in, this, in this town, you know, except for Scotland, you know. So then I, I started listening, you know, at Stokely Carmichael and Not uh, you, Dad. Yeah, I mean you were they were here. They were here on the campus. They were coming here. Oh no. Yeah. Stokely was here and uh, you know, and, and H. Rap Brown, you know, right I across was, the track right there. The street, right? right. So all this was going on, you know, and they had the situation with the Muslims. Uh, I think that was in seventy two or whatever. So it was a tense time. You know, we had to you know, uh, Smith uh, You was here for that? I, I had graduated. I was 71. That was in 72. But we were having those things were still going on here. There were marches here. There was sit-ins. People were saying that, you know, we needed to have more African, Amer- African American studies in the curriculum, things like that. So people were still protesting, you know. So, I mean, you know, when when, when Smith Brown was killed, it just one, one incident, this has been going on for years, you know, in terms of student unrest. And so I wanted to understand more about history, but as I began to see all of this, I understood that it was a lot of political. So rather than history, then I switched over to political science, you know, in terms of the power of voting and, and things of this nature. Then when I was you know studying political science, I realized if you're a minority, I don't care how many times you vote, if you got one group that has 60% and you got 30%, you going to lose. Every time. Every time. So, so it ain't about voting, it's about money. Ooh. So then I, I moved into the business school <laughs> and I majored in economics to understand oh, how the economy worked.
0: No, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, 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 now. you know, you know, matriculated from history, the history
1: department to, political, to science. political science department, but you still haven't graduated, though. No, no. Then I, then I moved into the business school. <laughs> now you really. It's thinking it
0: through like this now, for real right. mm-hmm. You're processing this like this. right, a, a
1: country boy from Maroon, <laughs> Maroon, Maroon, Maroon Louisiana, yeah. Right, you're thinking on this level. Right. So, yeah, but, but you know you, you, you're talking in these classes and you know, you're interacting with people on campus and things like that, you know, you, you're kind of seeing you know, where the opportunities were. And then you, know, you had the passage in 1969 of affirmative action. Laws. Nixon signed um, uh, legislation that if you received federal contracts, especially in defense, you had to show that you were practicing affirmative action. So overnight, corporations like Texaco, General Motors, General Dynamics, Westinghouse, Honeywell, all of them showed up on this campus recruiting students. And I said, that's where the opportunity is. But you
0: you observing all this
1: yes. as a student at Southern University? Yeah, all this is happening on the campus. Yes.
0: So how long you stayed in the department of uh, the College of uh, History?
1: Oh, I was there for maybe uh, two semesters. Uh, the College of Then I moved over to Political Science maybe a, a semester, semester and a half. So so basically, I'm saying maybe the first two years, but in the third year, yeah. I, I moved into business. Well, how long so. take you to graduate? <laughs> Well, I graduated. Like I ra- actually graduated in, in, in three and a half years. Yeah, you moving around the three different right. departments. You still graduating. but I'm taking a, a I'm year. taking eighteen to twenty one hours a semester. Oh,
0: you had it like and that. And
1: then in my in my junior year, my father passed away. Oh. And goodness. then I knew I had to get out of here. You had to get and, busy. Now. Yeah, get I had to get out of here. Now. Yeah.
0: You move into the College of Business.
1: Right. That's when you decided this is where I'm supposed to be. Well, I I majored in economics. You know, I thought about accounting, but I I just didn't have the aptitude for accounting or whatever, because I can remember working on some of the problems. And you know, you go through this whole spreadsheet, this was before Excel, so you had to do all this stuff. (laughs) Manually, yeah. Yeah, manually. And then electronic calculators came out, that helped a lot, but then, you know, we didn't have spreadsheets. So you had to sit there with a whole, it was a spreadsheet, a paper spreadsheet. And you would make all these entries and make all these calculations. And you know, you'd be up all night sometimes. And then you come down to you know, see if you got a balance. And so you might have assets on one side, $152,000.50. And that's got to balance off with your liabilities and your equity account on the other side. And that might be off by $0.05. Cent. Now you got to go back and find that $0.05. Cent. You know, I just didn't have the patience for that. You know, I just said, "Well, five cent send here, I'll give you five cents." But I, what I was very good at was was the logic as to what's going on. Because, in other words, I could see in terms of the banking system, which I really liked. You know, money and banking, I really liked. Why that you course. didn't get it to you? Made, you made a great banker. Well, that's was. I'm saying that's what economics was all about. You know, in in terms of looking at various. Uh, problems, and the fundamental problem that we all have, that everybody has, that everybody's working on in life is limited resources. We all have the same problem, limited resources. And so in in 1776, uh, Adam Smith wrote this book uh, called The Wealth of Nations, which basically laid... 1776? 1776. Okay. 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 Before he wrote this book, which was the foundation of capitalism, everyone thought wealth was gold and silver. You know, when the Spanish came to the New World or Columbus, they were looking for gold and silver, precious metal, because that's what people thought wealth was. Adam Smith's argument was the true wealth of a nation is the productive capacity of the people in that nation to produce goods and services. Okay?
0: I guess he didn't, because he, he, slavery was, in, was in, in place, full effect, so. Well, what I'm trying to say is that
1: you have this fundamental problem. In other words, you've got limited resources. You've got land resources. You've got labor resources. You've got machinery, or what we refer to as capital. And then you've got the ability to manage this all together, which we refer to as entrepreneurship. Okay. So the entrepreneurship combines the labor, the land, and the capital machinery. But the ultimate goal is what consumption of goods and services. People talk. want a higher standard of living. Okay. That's why people go to work every day. They're trying to increase their ability c- to consume goods and services. That's the name. That's the fundamental problem. <coughs> a lot of people don't even understand what game they're playing, but they do understand that they need more financial resources or income in order to have more uh, consumption. So you take, say, a professional athlete. If he doesn't understand something about uh, finance, financial literacy, you can give that person a million dollars and then they end up not knowing what to do with it. And you've got a whole group of people that hang on to these people just to separate them from their mm-hmm. financial resources. You know? so, so that's what we really need, and that's what I really saw the fundamental problem to be. People didn't understand that they're in an economic uh, competition.
0: Okay, now, now let's get back to that book.
1: Okay, The Wealth of Nations, 17- 17- 1770. Nation. Mm-hmm. The gentleman's name was Adam Smith.
0: And, what, and so he said his conclusion was
1: Mm-hmm.
0: that the wealth is not in silver and gold. Just let's look at it.
1: Let me, let me tell you this, okay. Let's say, okay, Lama, this room right here. I'm going to fill it up with gold and silver. The only thing, you have to hold on to it for the rest of your life. So what are you going to do with it? I'm saying you can't use it for anything. So what do you do with it? Well, you might be able to make you some jewelry or whatever, but if you can't find a way to produce so in other words, if you discover gold and silver, what are you going to do with it? You're going to use it as money, because people will accept it. And so therefore, they will exchange one product for another. So the whole thing is about products, exchange of products. Exchange of products. Product. Right. And, and, <coughs> and what you, and what you ex- all accept right? As a yeah, what, what's the problem with poor people? the exchange. Well, no, they, they don't have enough income to buy food. That's what they really mm-hmm. want, food. They want clothing. They want shelter. They want transportation. And when everybody win the Super Bowl, what happened? Where do they go? Disney World. They want recreation, vacation. So that's what people really want. So how do you get more of these things? Well, in order for you to have more of these things, you have to produce, be able to produce more and trade with others what you don't have. So that's basically what well, financial that, literacy is all about.
0: Well, that's what nations have done for years. Hundreds right. of years, thousands
1: of years. Right because even the African people was going to India right. to trade for different That's what we're saying. That, that's, why we, we, that's why we're saying trade is important, but you gotta have something to trade. You gotta have something to trade. Right. So in other words, you have to improve your productivity to produce goods and services that other people want so you can trade with them what you can't produce, and they trade with you what they can't produce. So like if we look at state, I mean like Florida is an example has a good climate for what? Producing oranges. We could produce oranges in Alaska. You know, you'd have to put a greenhouse up and all this, so it's much more expensive to produce oranges in Alaska. So let's say, okay, you guys in Florida, you produce oranges. In Alaska, we're going to produce king salmon or whatever, and king crab. And we're going to trade with you. You send us oranges and we send you uh, 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 King crabs. So everybody's level of living improves. You have more goods and services that you are available but to consume. We, but what happens when
0: you do have all these products or uh, to exchange? Mm-hmm. But some other group over here say we come and take this from you. We gonna control it for you.
1: Well, that's. I mean, you know, that's. You have to have some legal system. And so that's why you know in in the U S we have. Uh, national defense, you know. But I'm just saying if you have criminal activity that's a problem. you got to find some way to to stop this, you know, and that's what I'm saying. We talked about slavery. So we fought a civil war to stop it because basically we are saying this is inhumane to take from one group and give to another group. And it was creating a problem not only for whites in America, I mean not only for blacks in America, but for whites in America as well. Because if you are white and you've got to compete against the plantation system, you really can't do it because the labor is so cheap that it will drive that person out of business because they can't compete.
0: They, 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 they was, they had, they, the South began uh, gained so much power and wealth.
1: Right. And so that's why it was always a fight. If you go back to say the 1850 Compromise, you had California. Uh, the California Territory wanted to come into the country as a free state. The southern plantation system wanted California to be a slave state. So they made a compromise. So in other words, if it comes in as a slave state, then white farmers are not going to be able to compete. So in other words, you're basically taking the land and the productivity and you're giving it to a select group of slave owners. They're gonna be millionaires. Everybody else is gonna have to basically uh, compete against that system. So it's like giving somebody a monopoly. Okay, and so the compromise was we'll let California come in as a free state, but what we're gonna do is protect the slave states in terms of the Fugitive Slave Act. So we're gonna promote slavery, and if a slave leaves the South and goes North, then the Northern states have to return that slave back to the, to the South, to slavery. So that 1850 Compromise probably stabilized the country so that we didn't have a civil war. So in other words, what we are saying is that slavery was detrimental to a competitive society or an open society because it gave the slave owners an undue advantage over others. So in other words, the, these few groups of people could have what? Millions of acres of land. And they could work that land to the advantage because they had what? They had a slave Keep labor. Labor. Keep labor force.
0: Right. You got to break this down
1: again. You didn't even deal with the supply and demand. You didn't right. with, the, uh, with a whole other component. Well, what we're talking about what, what actually wealth is. In other words, it, it? In other words so you have the, the, you know, I talked about the uh, Land Grant Act, the Morrell Act, and we're trying to get education to the common man. Because as Nelson Mandela said, the most powerful weapon to change the world is education. In other words, if people there, understand, there, there,
0: there, there, there is the, not just
1: education, because people have
0: even been educated too. Now,
1: well, but what we're talking about is skills to produce goods and services. People always talk about what productivity. Okay, so how do we improve productivity? We've got to educate people. Today, you need what? You need to know computer skills. You need to know now we got, we're getting so proficient now that we got AI, or artificial intelligence. They do it for you. Okay, when I, uh, you know, a couple of summers, I went, after my father passed away, I went to California. I had a lot of relatives that went to California. Uh, you know, at one time, 90% of blacks lived in the South. After the Civil War, blacks started leaving the South, trying to get land. Uh, in Oklahoma, places like that, Oregon, places like that. Uh, and then the uh, Industrial Revolution that took place, you know, after 1776 with the invention of the steam engine, the railroads, all these sort of things that were changing. Uh, and you needed to be educated to some extent. So that's why you needed these land grant schools to educate people with college degrees, industrial skills. So First World War, but really the Second World War, blacks were needed in the uh, defense industry, especially in California because you had the Japanese challenge. So my mother had about 11 brothers and sisters. All of them went to California except her. They went on their own? Well, I mean, in other words, what you would have was sometimes people call chain migration. One person would move out there. Oh, that's right. And then they would send back for the others. I remember when my, uh, my auntie left for California in 1956, got on the train and went to California. But her husband had gone out a year before and then sent for them. And then there were some people that used to sneak off the plantations, okay, like the Illinois Central, from uh, New Orleans to Chicago. So the trains may- played a, a big role in this, used to have what they call a the Sunset Limited that we used to go from New Orleans to Los Angeles. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and you had the, the Pullman Porter, the blacks who were on the trains or whatever who could tell you how, how to go and how to get to where you needed to be. So as a result of the, the, the migration of, of, of blacks out of the South, they got jobs in the industry and were able to enjoy a high standard of living. The, the Valdry uh, Center over here, uh, Warren and Leon Valdry, they moved from uh, West Baton Rouge Parish to California and became quite successful because they had education. They had a college degree from Southern University back in the 50s. So we can get more of our people educated in the right areas so that they can start their own businesses. Uh, you know, we talk about Black Wall Street. So we know that people can be successful. Now some people may get so upset about it and go burn them down, but hopefully now we've got the laws and protection that that won't happen again but basically what we are saying, there's nothing that we can't do to work ourselves out of being low income uh, consumers in this society. Okay,
0: uh, well, one of the greatest that we got access to education, more education than we ever had before. Now less people, less people going to school now.
1: What's but but we on? got a lot of kids that are not making it through high school.
0: Right. That's what I'm saying, they're dropping yeah, out.
1: Yeah, right, so, so we so gotta course. find a way to protect those kids Society owes you at least an education to get you started. So we've got to find some way to restore those communities that we've allowed to deteriorate for whatever reason it may be.
0: Okay, now you you being a dean, you you at a university, you see at one time Southern University probably had more more young men than more women, or close to right. It, it was a close right. It was a close balance right. Now it's, it's not even a close
1: balance. Well it's 60-40, something 60 like that. 40. So yeah. you still got
0: 40% young men here. Yeah. And is it dropping off or is
1: it Well as I'm saying we, we have some problems that we've got to find a way. And at the uh, program today they were talking about an increase in female incarceration. So that's alarming. So we've got to find a way. You know they were talking about the school to prison pipeline or whatever, you know, third grade or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, you got these kids with discipline issues and end up in the uh, disciplinary exclusion where basically the discipline is to take you out of the school. Mm-hmm. We got to find a way to, 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 to reconstitute these individuals in terms of skills and training such so that they can be productive citizens. Yeah. Now they were talking about Louisiana having the, what, the highest incarceration rate and, uh, you know, uh got the
0: highest dropout rate, too.
1: Yeah. So we, all, we, they, all they go so ahead and anything. Right. Wait. So we, we've got to do something to, to build these communities back. You know. And one time, you know, you know, the church played a central role. So society has to find you know, some mechanism to make sure that these kids get an education so they can be competitive. Because now we've got all kinds of things. I can remember as I was talking about Los, Los moving to California. I went out there one summer, and I worked in a General Motors assembly plant. And you know, you had the paint shop, you had the welding shop, and I've, I ran into a lot of my high school buddies in the welding shop and in the paint shop because nobody wanted those jobs. They paid pretty good, but nobody really wanted them because it was hot, and, you know, you had hot metal jumping all around when you were making the welding on those car bodies. And you had paint spray and everything. Well about five years later, you know, you go into an automobile assembly plant and guess what you see? You see robots. That robot arm doing all the painting. Uh, you've got robot machines doing all the welding. So where are all those people at? They're gone. The jobs aren't there. But then you've got people programming these computers and programming these robots. So basically what we are saying is that change is taking place. So we've gone from uh, primarily agricultural society, and one time 90% of the people in the U.S. were in farming. Then we go to the industrial sector. People move to the cities and they work in factories. Uh, a little town I grew up in, there were about five paper mills within a 30-mile you know, radius or whatever. Now there's maybe one left. So all those jobs are gone. Because uh, paper is becoming extinct. Well, not becoming extinct, uh, it's just being produced somewhere else cheaper. Uh, you know, and, and well, we, say, but, but, oh, but with computers.:
0: Yeah, with you computers Yeah. Paper
1: yeah. Uh, and so what we're saying is that when society changes from basic skills to more advanced skills, how do you get your people prepared to make that transition? and it seems we've left a lot of people behind. That's what Joe Biden talks about. We'd hollow out the American middle class. So when you, talk, when you hear him, he's talking about what? Getting those good labor union jobs back again and producing stuff here in the U.S. rather than producing it somewhere else. Because we kind of ran, ran away from some of the people. The people on the West Coast and on the East Coast, where you have highly educated, advanced institutions like Silicon Valley and all those schools out there in Boston Harvard Yale and all those MIT people with those degrees and we've we've imported a lot of people internationals who've taken those jobs because they have the education so they come and they don't go back so we've got to find a way to improve the skills for our folks here in the. US
0: people in the. US skill level are inferior to the people in other countries in a way and the reason I say that, if you look at all the heads of the top 10 companies in the U.S., all of them are headed by what, what they term foreign, foreigners.
1: Yeah, but. How, how
0: is that possible when you're supposed to have schools like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all these Ivy League schools who will be producing these great minds, but the people that's running these major companies are well, in other countries? Well, it,
1: it, that's a, a small percentage. Uh, you know, you have. Uh, you know the CEO at uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, and Google or whatever. But what we are saying is that we've got to make the investment. It's all about competition, and that's what I'm saying. We got a problem. We got to educate our people better, but we can't get mad at somebody else who, who no, went. No, can't and get, get mad. Yeah. But i so it's, it's competition, and we just got to do a better job. If our team ain't winning, we got to do something to improve our team. People are looking <laughs> for you know the lowest cost provider. If you can provide the same quality at a lower cost then basically we say that's productivity increase. And so we're looking at competition on a global basis. So So we'll outsource to China, or we'll outsource to India, or we'll outsource to Mexico. What we're saying, we've just got to be able to improve our productivity. Let's take Southern
0: University. Mm -hmm. How can we forecast the future? 15, 20 years, we need to get our young men and women ready for, for this year. Mm-hmm. So what, are we, what, can, what can Southern University do?
1: Well, so you know, we, do we, we've all been impacted by COVID. I mean, every university, every school, or whatever the case may be. So we've got to really put time in to repair those kids that were negatively impacted with COVID in terms of the technology. We've got to get them the technology because we're not going back to where way we used to be. I mean, we're probably going to use more technology than we ever have before. We're probably going to be more hybrid-type programs, so the use of technology. So we've got to be prepared to have kids with the equipment that they need, that they need to be successful. Now, in terms of our programs, first of all, uh, we are accredited by AACSB International, which is the highest accrediting body for colleges of business anywhere on the planet Earth. So we got to maintain that to indicate that we have a quality program. That's by the Board of Regents. So we all, all the schools have to be AACSB accredited. And there are standards. There are standards with respect to strategic planning. There are standards with respect to resources. There are standards with respect to the type of faculty you have. Uh, there are with in terms of now we move to what is known as a societal impact because business has gotten a bad name in a lot of cases for being greedy. <laughs> that that business ain't about nothing but making money, and they, you know, just like the thing with the uh, train derailment up there, people are saying, you know, they've lost a lot of value now because they can't sell their homes. Uh, nobody wants to live in those communities that's been, you know, impacted by uh, pollution or whatever the case may be. Uh, so industry has to do a better job. We have to be socially responsible. But with respect to the technology, we have to make sure that our students have the skill sets that they need to be successful. So we talk to uh, companies all the time. Uh, companies like Dow, uh, PWC, uh, Align Insurance, General Motors, Price Waterhouse, CDW, Procter & Gamble. So they're looking for talent all the time. In the past, you know, we would produce an accountant for PwC or KPMG, uh, Ernest & Young. And then they would basically retrain those accountants and we would give them the general knowledge and then PwC or whoever it was would take them and say, well this is the way we're going to train you to do our way. way." Well what companies want now is that they don't want to have to do that training. They're saying we want the universities to do that training. So now we are aligning ourselves closer with industry. So they're willing to support us if we can provide the type of talent that they want. So we have a closer working relationship with industry. If we don't give them what they want, then industry has the ability to start their own university and train folks the way they want to train them. So now because, you know, you said you got your degree and that could last you a lifetime, your degree may last you four years. So you're going to have to do some additional training. Uh, you might not need another year of education after you leave, but you're going to be constantly trained on the new technology. You know, uh, chat, GPT, uh, Excel, uh, SAP, enterprise resource planning uh, systems. So we've got to basically... Align ourselves with industry to know what they want because we can't produce a product that we can't sell. So we got to be business savvy just like business. <laughs> and today, a lot of students are wanting to be entrepreneurs. That's what I want to get to. So we've been changing our curriculum to we have an entrepreneurship uh, minor for non business majors, and now we're working on a minor for business majors in entrepreneurship, and we're hoping to move to, at some point, maybe an, a, a major in entrepreneurship.
0: No, Southern University had an uh, incubator. So you, do y'all have anything in place like that now to uh, right. support?
1: A, a we, work, we work closely with the uh, Southern University Law Center. You, know, you can see the kind of programs that they're creating. Uh, within the Law Center, uh, they have a unit in terms of intellectual capital, They actually have a line with the um, Office of Patents. Uh, So they can do training in terms of helping you to initially start uh, the process for for getting a patent. They they call it the Southern University Technology and Patent Center or whatever. So we work with them in that center. We have a University Center for Economic and Entrepreneurial Development here in the college which is funded by EDA, Economic Development Administration. We, We put on short courses. We've had a, a program we call "Creating Sustainable Neighborhood Developers," that I think over 500 people have gone through. That it's uh, on a it's a Saturday uh, program that's online, it's totally online, teaching people how, if they want to become a developer, everything they need to know in terms of understanding the real estate cycle, uh, understanding entrepreneurship understanding how to develop uh, uh, blueprints, how to read blueprints, understanding how to do estimation, uh, understanding how to do project management, understanding more or less uh, uh, zoning laws and tax uh, and various other ways of acquiring property. So all that, we're trying to become uh, more involved in the community. Uh, We have a a grant we just received from uh, U.S. Department of Education In terms of business, international education, last year we took about seven kids to Ghana and we had a total party of about 25. So in June of this year we've got about 30 people that are going to Ghana to look at business opportunities, educational opportunities and things of that nature. So you can understand what business is like on an international basis. Uh, And we have another grant uh, with the law school in terms of technology where you're going to have. Uh, Wi-Fi for the entire campus. So you don't have to necessarily be in a building, you can get you know, connected to the Wi-Fi over in the parking lot or whatever so students can be much more mobile. And we're gonna outreach to about 30 communities to help them with their technology needs in terms of broadband.
0: You know, we're talking about, I'm, I'm gonna use this term that, uh, that I've kind of be, we've been hearing a lot about, cultural economics.
1: Cultural economics, okay.
0: Where the system that we all lived in that have you know have served us, we all had to you know survive and make money through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you know very few of us? I mean, that's few of us you know that does well with the system. But to sustain things, we got to do start learning to do things ourselves. Like one time, you farm. Mm-hmm. You know we were self-sufficient in that form. You, you, go, you can go buy mm-hmm. what you need here, mm-hmm. to, you know, or trade here, which mm-hmm. we talked about earlier. So uh, we, we are now becoming almost 100% dependent on a system that is slowly fading a lot of people out.
1: Right. And that's what I'm saying, education is the key. So, that's your only silver bullet. And you got to continue to be educated. People talk about lifelong learning. In other words, at one time, I can remember back in the in the fifties, people could work on their own cars. Okay, they could put their spark plugs in, they could change their oil, they could, uh, you know, lubricate the uh, brakes or whatever they had to do. Take the engine out, put another in. Right, engine. right. You try that today. You know, you got a computer in there now, so it's more computer driven. So you got to be a technician to operate on that. So basically, let's say if I'm in the 1950s and now I'm in the 2020s, mechanic there and a mechanic here are entirely different. you got to go to school, you got to understand how the technology is in these automobiles to make them operate. You've got you to purchase certain equipment. Right. That's they, they, beyond just tools. I'm months. saying the shade tree thing ain't, ain't working they, too they, well, they, you know. they be, it's becoming a dying art, too. So that's say. what we're saying. So the skill set that a person needs to be successful today has advanced so much and you got to run faster just to stay in the same place. So that's what we're seeing and that's the same thing with universities. We've got to change. We've got to provide the curriculum that organizations want in order for these students to be productive. We can't produce a product because these students can't get jobs and we fail. At, at,
0: at the business school, how many students y'all have come through here every year?
1: Well, we got about 900 students in the business school and we graduate about 140 a year.
0: That's it's pretty consistent? Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and, and it been how long have you been the, the head of the school?
1: Uh, too long. <laughs> <laughs> Transition twenty-five. Been dean twenty-five years. Twenty-five years. Mm-hmm. It's a 20, twenty-five year anniversary. So, yeah. 22. July. Uh, I guess I started. Uh, what was it? J- July one of of nineteen
0: ninety-eight. All right, Agnes, You got to get something. Get, get ready. <laughs> to have a big <laughs> celebration in July of of twenty twenty-three for your husband. It's 25th year as the uh, as the head of this college. Now you. You, you, went to, you went to school here
1: Right. I graduated, I graduated from this college in 1971.
0: And how you became, how you got on staff? How did that
1: happen? When I graduated from Southern in 71 there was a recession. So the economy had been booming. The time I got ready to graduate it went into recession. Yeah, so, that's, that's where it happened. So a lot of job offers that were you know, given were rescinded. So, I had an opportunity to get an a assistantship uh, to go to graduate school. So, I ended up at University of Florida in 1971. Got to the University of Florida, and everybody said, You might as small to play football. Because the majority of folks on that campus were football players. They looked like you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Unbeknownst to me, the students had been demonstrated. They wanted more recognition, I guess, because they, they felt culturally isolated. They tell wanted...
0: Me, me just the African... Yeah,
1: the speech. black student mm-hmm. union. They wanted, uh, They wanted. Uh, I think maybe it was about 200 kids, on black kids at the at, at University of Florida at that time, I guess. And I was there as a graduate student, but they were undergraduates, and they really didn't have any social... You know, community or whatever. So they wanted a black student uh, cultural center. So they demonstrated at the administration building, and the president at that time had them all arrested and put in jail.
0: Sending the message. So
1: he had been a state judge on the Florida Supreme Court, and so he had basically upheld the laws of segregation. So he said he wasn't going to have any students coming to him protesting. It was in violation, so he had them arrested. So we had some demonstrations as a a result of that. But anyhow, I went to the University of Florida and I realized, you know, I'm here to get an education. So I'm going to make the best of getting an education. So I got a master's from the University of Florida.
0: What did you get your master's in?
1: Economics, okay. I came back to Southern for two years uh, and I was working over in the College of Agriculture because I had majored in food and resource economics and they had an opening over there, so I worked over there for, for two years. And that's when I met, uh, met my wife. Yeah, yeah tell her that's the... Well, she was an agricultural uh, uh, extension agent for Southern. And so I was working in the ag school. And uh, so we met at a small farmers conference. So we, uh, we got married in, in 75, this was 74, and so in, I was here on a two-year assignment to replace one professor who had gone to West Africa. He had gone to the Cameroons to do a project. So I knew I was only gonna be here for a couple of years, so then I got an a assistantship to go to uh, Texas A&M. So I went to Texas A&M, I was there from 76 to 80. And so I got my PhD there. Came back to Southern in 1980, I think it was. And I was here for three years then I went down to uh, Thibodeau, down the Bayou, to Nickel State. So okay. I was there for Nickel State for 11 years uh, and learned a lot about AACSB accreditation. Uh, and then I came here and uh, returned to Southern in 94. And so I was from 94 to 98, I was a regular faculty member. We worked on accreditation. So we, uh, Dean Burkett was able. To get the school accredited in 1998, and then she went on to be the uh, vice chancellor for academic affairs. So I took the job for one year, hoping they would find somebody else. So I've been waiting on them to find somebody else <laughs> for 25, <laughs> 25 years. you still waiting, now. yeah. You're gonna retire
0: waiting,
1: yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. Now, now uh, you sitting in the university. There's never, there's, never, there's always opportunity. You just gotta understand how to take advantage of that opportunity, or you gotta learn how to create opportunities. If you're an entrepreneur, right, right.
0: Now, but you sitting here in the university, you see what's going on. Mm -hmm. You see the evolution of Mm -hmm. of society Mm -hmm. from the business perspective, Mm -hmm. from the economic perspective, job perspective. Mm -hmm. So, what would you encourage young people to? Some fields of areas that they can start looking at. Okay.
1: Like I say, accounting. Uh, We got firms coming wanting accountants, ExxonMobil, all these want accountants, PwC. We got people that want finance, banking, Uh, B1 Bank. Uh, We got people that uh, want supply chain, Sasol, Um, Boeing. Uh, Texas Instruments. Uh, we got people uh, that want uh, economics. They want people with certain skills and analytics. The whole IBM uh, uh, suite of IBM skills, badges, certifications. Uh, so if you add all that in with your degree, in other words, what can you do for me? What can you? In other words, business has what problems? So they want what problem solvers. They don't want people who gonna create problems. Okay. When you hire somebody, why do you hire somebody? Because they can help you get the work done. Uh, and so if I have to constantly train you and retrain you, then I'm not gonna keep you a, a very long time. And we've had cases where you know people have said, look. You you know, we hired one of your students, but it just didn't work out. Well, that
0: happened. And I you
1: know, want we want that feedback so we can make sure we give them better training. Or we're just saying, well, you need to maybe improve uh, use of Excel, or you may need to improve use of uh, uh, SAP or whatever that technology that they're using. N- we need to help them to understand that technology before they go out the door. Okay. So we've got to do some... Product redesign in terms of our degrees and in terms of our curriculum. So, there are many opportunities out there. Uh, Jobs are, you know, the economy is still growing. Everybody's talking about we are, you know, we got inflation. We might have a recession. But, you know, we've had some layoffs in high tech. People are afraid, you know, with crypto or whatever. I mean, I would stay away from crypto. I don't know. People think they're going to get rich overnight on crypto. Ain't going to happen. Uh, and then we had the bank out in uh, Silicon Valley that uh, just... Um, $200 billion bank. Right. How did they, how they go back? Well, I mean, you know, things change. I mean, it was probably a lack of uh, regulation, but the Federal Reserve will contain that. The big thing would have run on banks. So the bank may have had an investment that went bad. Somebody in the bank is aware of that, and so they may tell their friend, you know, we lost money. Yeah? Is my money safe? Well, that's up to you, you know, so somebody will go away. I'm going to get my money out of here. And so that's when you have a run on the bank. So what the Federal Reserve has to do is basically put money into the bank. That's what they're all about is making loans to banks when they're in trouble to keep them from going out because it's really a liquidity problem, not a solvency problem. Uh, And so once they do that, you know, things will be okay. It's not like the financial market crisis that happened in 2008. Where we had a whole system-wide meltdown.
0: Let me see. We've been at this thing for about an hour and a half. Okay. And do you got? Do you have anything in particular you want to talk about or share?
1: Well, I, I would just really, you know, I've been in, I've been going to school now for almost seventy years. Okay. <laughs> time to graduate. Now. Well, no, no, uh, you know, and and and, and 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 I think the thing is, people have to understand that life is a struggle and life is a competition. And I guess that's why people always look at the sports analogy sometimes when they talk about life. In other words, be on a winning team, everybody's got to do what? Perfect their expertise, their skill. So what are you good at? Or What can you become good at? What can you become world class at? You have to have and understand financial literacy. Uh, You have to understand how to work in teams because nobody can get far in life by themselves. I mean you have some people that just may be geniuses but there are very few like that. So in most cases you're going to have to work in a team. Uh, And you have to have a purpose. And your purpose can't be to take advantage of other people. I think that's just a wasted life. Uh, when you, you know, get people hooked on drugs to take advantage of them or something like that. Uh, We were talking, uh, they were talking about, you know, how people had taken advantage of some of the females and was sex trafficking them today. So I think that's just, you know, just terrible for people's lives to end up like that. So we've got to do something to help people uh, along the way. Uh, so, my, my, my biggest hope is that people will understand the importance of education uh, and how it can lead to better life because people make better decisions. That's the issue. You've got to be able to make better decisions. Uh, some people may be gifted with certain things, but they make bad decisions and they end up more or less not being as successful as they could be. So I think there's always opportunities, always hope, always opportunities for second chances. So we need to help people who maybe been incarcerated to help them more or less back into society. We can't just keep punishing them over and over and over. Uh, We need to understand the purpose of education is to move society forward and to help people have a better life. Because we're all in this together, you know. Nobody got out of here alive yet, so (laughs) (laughs) right. So you know, at this stage of life, I mean, you know, if I can help somebody to be successful. Uh, that's probably the biggest um, uh, you know, joy I can have, you know, and, and a lot of our kids don't come from wealthy backgrounds. Uh, a lot of them are working, and they may be working too many hours, uh, so they need to realize that they need to put the investment in time and skills so they can be successful once they, once they leave here. So it's very simple. I'm a very simple person. <laughs> no, I ain't going to that. No, I ain't going
0: to say that. I mean, but your level of understanding and education, and your love for this university, and, and, and love for what you do, yeah. and the student that you serve, I mean, it's pretty evidence, you know. Mm. Uh, I know you all have been that kind of quiet storm type of guy. Quiet <laughs> Who just kind of in the background, but who make a whole lot happen. Well, I can't close this thing without talking about the program that you all created, uh, not the program, the event that you have created, what, 25 years ago? I, don't know. I Are you talking about to, the gala? The gala on the blood. Yeah,
1: this year will be number 21. 21. So yeah. you've been
0: here for 25 and mm-hmm. be 21. Okay? Yeah.
1: So but it's but it's not just me. I mean, it, it, I have to give credit to our uh, advisory council, I have to give credit to our MBA board of directors, all of these individuals that are willing to make the investment in the, in the school. Uh, Like I say, it's it's not a one-person operation, but you do have to have quality leadership. And one of my professors always said, everything rises and falls on leadership.
0: Mm.
1: And I was fortunate enough to work with Ambassador James Joseph, who recently passed away. Uh, He was U.S. Ambassador to South Africa under the Clinton administration. He worked closely with Nelson Mandela. When we had the uh, Hurricane Katrina, uh, issue. He came and he started the, and developed the Louisiana Disaster Recovery Foundation. And one of the things he had done in South Africa was to develop a leadership program for uh, Nelson Mandela. And uh, he saw the same situation here, and so he wanted to develop a leadership program to help uh, middle managers in Louisiana. So we ran the Louisiana uh, Effective Leadership Program for about three or four years and uh, really learned a lot about serving leadership. You know, some people want to be leaders so they can self-serve, mm. but true leadership is about serving others.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're not to self-serve or to be served. Right? right. But I, I just want to thank you for you know giving me this opportunity to sit here and to, I guess to fellowship and to share some, some great information, and just be able to speak about days to come, the future, mm-hmm. where, what it looks like uh, mm-hmm. for those who are coming through Southern Universities, uh, some, like the Southern Universities, the Groundland State Universities, and uh, the HBCUs and other places that uh, right. we got to create some kind of wealth in the community that we live in on right. sustain sustained self, right. and some, some kind of services, like say to trade, right. exchange. Right. We can't continue being just serving. Right. We got to be have be be a part of the, uh,
1: the supply chain. Uh, right. Now we've gone from the agricultural economy to the industrial economy to the knowledge economy. When Google said we're gonna have knowledge everywhere, and now we're in the creative economy. You know, people like uh, Tesla creating new products and Apple and all those. So we got to be a part of all that. You know, we we got We got you know students and that are just as smart as anybody else, so we just got to help them to create that talent. Yeah.
0: And I know we're going to do that. Right. That, that, that's our purpose, like there's, say,
1: there's no alternative. Yeah, we're
0: on the back end, and our purpose is to serve right. and to help our young people to caliport them right. uh, to the next stage, the next place, where they can be leaders and uh, servants of their people, and uh, but most of all, create opportunities for, right. them, for them to come. But with Doc, I really thank you for being here today and at the, the last minute, for real, for real, the last mm. minute, he, mm. he decided to do this interview and <laughs> he accommodated <laughs> me so graciously and I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you, Doc, for being here. Thank you for being part of Contact. We had Dr. Donna Andrew mm. from Marouge, Louisiana. Louisiana. Uh, 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 You say he was a cotton picker. I don't believe that, but thank you for being there (laughs) now. Okay. Thank you for being part of Count
1: Time. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it a lot. All right. Thank
0: you, my brother. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time
1: Podcast.